It's Monday, June 17th, 2019. I'm Jeremiah Simmerman, and this is episode 211 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that uh, conversation, that musician, is a return. Today on the show, Jessica Pavone, violist, composer, uh, recent Jew. We'll talk about that. Uh, Jessica Pavone is on the show today, and it is a good one. Before we get into it, uh, I mentioned, I think on Facebook... That uh, a bunch of the uh, new upcoming episodes, like today, are part twos, the return of past guests, people who were on the show perhaps a really long time ago, so long ago that their episodes uh, are not in the general iTunes feed, they're only accessible in the archive, people who I enjoy talking to, people who have had a lot going on since they were last on, people who I feel like we maybe didn't address everything we needed to address the first time on. Maybe we'll see some part threes happening. Uh, I, I enjoy these episodes a lot. For me, you know, I mentioned this with the Evan Parker episode a couple of weeks ago. It's nice for me to be able to just have a conversation without having to ask questions that I kind of already know the answer to. You know what I mean? Like like with Jessica, as you'll hear today, it's it's just two old friends talking. I think the first uh, five to ten minutes of today's show, we don't even talk about music. We talk about The Sopranos, which, sorry, sometimes I'd rather talk about The Sopranos than, you know, how much it sucks to play improvised music in the back of a bar. One thing I will say about the start of this show is Jessica, one of the first things you'll you'll hear us talk about, and we don't really open it up, but I just want to make something clear. Jessica has not converted to Judaism. Jessica recently saw the results of both of her parents, 23 and me, each of them did a 23 and me, and it turns out that they both are equal parts, something like uh, 10% Ashkenazi Jew. So so that's what Jessica and I are referencing when, when she, I call her, the, you know, a, a new Jew. You guys know Jessica. Uh, you know, you know, I'm sure a lot of you uh, listened to the first episode. If you haven't heard the first episode and you want to, the way you can do that is you can become a Patreon donor. You go to patreon.com slash 5049podcast, five bucks a month, you get access to the entire archive, which is over 110 episodes now. That conversation with Jessica took place in July, I think, June or July 2013. So needless to say, a lot has changed since then. And a lot of what Jessica and I talk about on today's show is, uh, you know, catching up with what's happened since then. If you want to find out more about Jessica Pavone and what she's been up to, including um, her two most recent solo records, which are both pretty spectacular, all the music on today's show is from those records, uh, go to jessicapavone.com. She's one of the best. Definitely one of my favorite people around, and um, it's always a blast to get to talk to her. If you enjoy this show, please consider rating and reviewing and subscribing to it in iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe. That helps. 
And that's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. Here's my conversation from just a couple of weeks ago with Jessica Pavone. chatting one day about how funny it would you be guys still g-chat this, no i'm talking back really in like cute. 2010 okay. or something <laughs> but we were like hey how funny would it be if we went out to dinner at um at chili's wouldn't that be funny <laughs> like, yeah what would you order so through back and forth we ended up at chili's one afternoon at like <laughs> five o'clock it was me nate woolly Matt Welch, Aaron Siegel, and tom blankhart eating and we spent like 300 at chili's in midtown uh no in battery park Mm-hmm. But the thing was, like, we all looked at each other, like, we could have just done like a recording session, right? With like, we could like, yeah. like this. We just like yeah. irony just hit a point of absolute <laughs> fucking stupidity. Yeah. Now we're going. So watch as as as, as Carmela said to that sleazy teacher, <laughs> watch your step. <laughs> Which sleazy teacher? The one that she kind of fell in love with. Who well, then? Was a priest. That was a priest. Was it the priest or a teacher? Dude, she fell in love. I know with she she fell, she fell in love with Furio. Yeah, she fell in love with the, the priest. priest. But then there was a teacher. There was no teacher. There was no teacher. I've seen that thing three times. It's the best ever. It is. Yes. Do you do you like that show less now that you found out you're Jewish? No. <laughs> I feel like there needs to be an equivalent, though. Well, is there? The Godfather. No, for Jews. Right. You know what I mean. I now think... that I'm Jewish, I need a Jewish equivalent of The Sopranos. <laughs> So I mean, the Sopranos hit so close to home. I mean, I ho- who gets to see that on TV? Well, I think like half those actors are Jewish, or at least a few of them. Like, like, like Meadow is Jewish. Okay, Jamie Lynn Sigler. She's probably the only one, but she's kind of like the main one. Like, she so typifies like that, like that, like racial Outer boundary, burr, that kind of like that like, jappiness. Yeah. That, you're like I can't tell if you're Italian or Jewish. Like you're like equally reprehensible. The tri-state area, gem, gem. That's what you are. <laughs> Wait, it's funny that you said that when you walked in because Ava Mendoza was just over here, mm-hmm. and she said the exact same thing. She was like, "Oh, I remember this room being much bigger." And or is this where we were before? This room. Huh, this room. Well, I was it set up the other way. No. Mm-hmm. I remember the last time I remember being in your office or whatever. This That's is. an office. office. Yeah, I like the office. Yes, office. Being in the office, there was jigsaw puzzles on the wall. There's one right there. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. Right. For some reason, I feel like it was more prominent. I got rid of a bunch of CDs. I threw out like 500 CDs. Whoa! I gave them away. You didn't try to sell them. Yeah, 50 cents <laughs> at a time on eBay. Going to the post office Ten every cents. day. That seems like a worthwhile endeavor. Look at all that Bach up there. You know, well, look, you see, the, I, I think I left a price tag on. You know How much paid? was it? Like 30 bucks? Fourteen ninety nine. No, my at God. At Amoeba Music. He's rolling, rolling, rolling around. He, he probably never made $15 in his lifetime. Oh, poor guy. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the last time you were over here was in 2000. 2013. I remember. You've been here since then. 
Oh, just to hang out. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I was riding my bike around yes. the Lower East Side. And you were like, hey, where do you live? I'm going to come by. It was like the fall of 2017, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. Was it 2017? What was the last fall? Yeah, it was two falls ago. Something I remember like I was like in, I was over at Max Fish for some reason, and I had uh-huh. my bike. Because it's the best bar in New York. It is. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So you came over here in 2013. We did the podcast, and then I didn't see you for like a really long time. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened? I don't know. 2014, 15. That was... Well, there's a lot to talk about since then. Yeah. I, was I here another time, though? I think I was here another time. Possibly. I started, like, burrowed in over here. You never came to my house. Which one? Good question. I've moved a lot. I think the last apartment of mine you were in was in Kensington. I went there several times. Yeah. That, like, underground. Right. Kind of. Because did I live there? No, I lived in the other place on Minna. Yeah, yeah. I lived but then- on 12th. <laughs> I moved a lot. Um, but I went to that like downstairs apartment. Yes, I made yeah. you uh, dinner. I made yeah. you. Yeah, that's right. I made gravy. That's right. We made gravy and meatballs. Maybe meatballs? I might have been some meatballs yeah. involved. Um, but then I moved back to Greenpoint and you were never there. Right. And then not in Queens. Very few people come visit me in Queens. Shocker. Right. Queens is like still really kind of far away. It is. It's, it's far. hard to get to. Yeah. But I do feel like in the last several years since since you were last here for this like the solo playing has become really prominent like have, it was something you did from time to time before and then it became a focus yeah yes it definitely became a focus i think um i got pretty tired of putting groups together and i kind of just wanted the freedom to do whatever i wanted whenever i wanted was that it tired of putting groups together mm it wasn't entirely there was more than there was more to it yeah than that. i definitely got burnt out on putting groups together i also like had severe back issues and couldn't play for i remember a couple of years mm-hmm. um and then i thought a lot about just i mean i was completely separated from music for a short time when? Nah, what do you nah, mean I, separated from music well there was a couple of years it was like 2009 i started working full-time as a school teacher I remember. and i was barely i was like sort of it was hard i was still maybe doing i feel like i wasn't doing very much music. you felt disconnected from music yeah because it was just and then shortly after that i started having back problems i don't think i started really doing solo music intensely till 2013 okay um and that was 2009 is when I started working in public school. I feel like that was like a point in my life where just there was just too much distraction, like shitty jobs uh-huh. and bad health. Uh-huh. And then 2013 was like a reset. And I guess in that time I thought about um, just I, I solo, just playing what is like the most primal, what was my pr- most primal connection to music, uh-huh. you know, was playing my instrument. And I also wanted to just be able to play and tour whenever I wanted and not have to organized i didn't want to be in the last time i led a band it was army of strangers and the whole administration of that band was so exhausting yeah i remember i was just losing money because i want to make sure everyone's taken care of but I, i feel like and 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 let me know if i'm out of line in saying this like I kind of feel like with, with like with that group and like the way we've all done groups, like you were kind of looking at it of like, oh, I'm a band leader, I'll lead a band, and this is how one leads a band, mm-hmm. and it's like kind of not the most organic way to approach yeah a musical relationship. I, I think it was particularly just not the right situation. I feel like I mean, so 
in all of that, I've come full circle. Um, but I did, I did lead bands and I have put together chamber music. I feel like when I've done chamber music stuff, it's been funded. So I've had, right. you know, but funds to make sure that everything is done properly. And then, um, yeah, it just wasn't the right combination or the right people or the right, I don't know. It was an ex- it was an experiment, and I remember it came out of. I had played in a couple of collaborations where it was like quartets where we all wrote mm-hmm. for the groups. Yeah. I played in two situations like that. One, it was me and Mary and Chess and Devin, Chess Smith, Devin Hawk, right. Mary Hollerson. We had a band for a short time, and then there was another band I had with Mary with Taylor Hobinum and, and Toma. Toma. Right. So I was in these collective quartets, and in both of them. We were all writing music for the group and my takeaway from that. And, and, you know, it's a collaboration. So there's no like we have to you, you don't have to be a band leader and like pay your sidemen kind of. Right. We, it was a collaboration. But I also felt like musically that model was kind of flawed because four different people are writing for a group. There's no cohesive group sound. And there's no I mean, there's no cohesive sound. It's like there's this person's song. Uh-huh. And there's that person's song. And, and it. So then I think why I decided to do Army of Strangers is I had spent a couple of years doing that. And I was like, what if I just did a band like this, but it was just all my music? Right. So that was kind of where the yeah thought for starting that was. Um, and then around that time, I had also done my two Zodic records, uh-huh. which were string ensembles. But those I, I had you know, a commission from the kitchen and I had a Jerome commission and I had funding. Uh-huh. That I, so, and then army of strangers, I didn't. And so I was kind of pulling a lot out of pocket and just, it just was exhausting. I didn't. Yeah. And I didn't really feel like anybody wanted to be doing it at a certain point. It's like, why are, uh, you know, so that was the end of me being a band leader. I think, we put out a record on Porter. Uh-huh. I don't even remember what year that was. 2009, maybe? Something like that. 2010, maybe? We went to a festival in 2011 or mm-hmm. 10 or 11. I don't remember what it was. It was somewhere in Austria. Okay. I don't remember what it was called. Why am I blanking on that? Saufelden? Maybe. Okay. Maybe it was Saufelden. I don't know. And then I had, was just... I couldn't walk. You were done with then it. I was, I was just, well, I was kind of done with it, and then I like had... Yeah, but I wonder how coincidental... like Physical problem. The physical problem that prevented you from, from working on stuff. Well, how- I I think, actually, the phys- I may already had back issues. I think it was being a public school teacher is what made That's my- you, you attributed it to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, I was driving to Connecticut to teach public school. And right. dri- I think the driving driving is what... All that driving finally made my back just like... Doing a reverse commute, living in fucking... Living in a car. Living in a car, but going from like Brooklyn and Queens to Connecticut. To Connecticut to teach. Yeah. Um, but I do think the car that I had had like this, the seat support wasn't good and my discs... I mean, I had two herniated discs and then they slipped. Um, but that took a good two years of my life, right? Um Although, and I then so I started focusing on solo music. So yeah, 2012. Well, but then I also was playing in that band Normal Love. And the thing, uh-huh. of, right after Army of Strangers was Normal Love, which is when I was having, I could bear, I, I was playing violin though. Violin is, and I wasn't playing it, like I was playing it like as like a percussion instrument. Right. So I was able to do that. But to actually hold a viola and play a viola at that time wasn't an option. Right. Because it just takes a different amount of. So I was still playing in Normal Love 2010, 2011. 
12, 2012 is when I was paralyzed. 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 Yeah. But I did have that. That's when I also did Hope Dawson is Missing, which was the a second side of Cricket, which was a composition project. Right. Yeah. After that, then it was pretty much only solo for a bunch of years, which now that I see, like I see the timeline, all of that time I spent working on solo music, I think now is informing the ensemble music that I'm writing. Certainly. When I think about when I was writing for string ensembles, when I was doing the Zodic records, I was at that time, I remember in my mind, I was, I wanted to, well, at least in the, for the first one, I had, you know, whatever, um, you know, the framework for what I was writing. I was thinking about songs, mm -hmm. but I was also really interested in writing melodies. I want to, mm -hmm. I want to remember thinking, I want to master like writing a melody because it's mm -hmm. not something I, I always kind of wrote texturally before. I want, so I was thinking a lot about melody and song form, right? And then I did another song cycle, right? So some song form, so, song form. And then I did solo music for predominantly for 13, 45, five years, maybe mm -hmm. three solo records. And then I started writing for string ensembles again, but I feel like when I started doing that, I was thinking of my solo, how would I take the music that I, solo music I've written and make it for an ensemble? But let, let me, let's go back a second. Because I remember when we've, uh, I remember specifically in like 2013, uh, meeting you at the practice space out in Brooklyn. Um, and you were going, you were showing me some of the solo stuff. You came with Toby. With Toby yeah. Yes. And I remember you were like, yeah, I just want to like play long tones. I want to live inside these long tones. And you remember this better than me. I need, I need to hear this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you, um, I, re I remember you talking about the, you know, playing a long tone on the viola and the vibration that occurs both on the string and then within, within the body of the instrument. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that's a solid approach to solo. Like, I feel like a lot of people decide at some point, a lot of improvisers decide that I should do a solo thing. And the decision isn't based on like a creative or 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 like emotional thing. It's based on like, oh, it seems like the next logical step. Uh, uh -huh. And I remember when you saying that, I'm like, oh, that's, that kind of seems like a fucking cool idea. But now when I look back on it, when I think about it, it certainly seems like like a good reset. Mm -hmm. It's like it literally was a going reset. to it, go back it, to like long tones. Exactly what it was. I had to like relearn how to play my instrument, kind of. Not entirely, but I didn't play for a long time. You know, and right. I say, like, okay, that's where I always start, long tones. But I also enjoy them, and I also was really interested in sympathetic vibration and the ringing of the instrument. Uh -huh. I was really interested in the natural properties of the instrument. Sure. Even though I was using pedals a little bit, and the reason I was using pedals is because I wanted to play solo, but have there to be more of an ensemble feeling, like how can I make this thicker, or how can I write, pe how can I write a piece, using pedals kind of to write a piece. Right. You know... And I, I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours doing that. Like I'm, but starting from there, the perspective of a vibrating string of just yeah, this is what the instrument does. You you play this string, you play this pitch, and also a lot of definitely the first solo record, and it's def it's a theme throughout all of them. If there are melodies or if there are patterns, they are based on the notes that mm -hmm. are the open strings mm -hmm. of the instrument, like things that you start hearing within the vibration. Because C G. D and A, you play them on the instrument. It it makes the the synthetic vibration of the especially, you know, if everything's are in C, the C string is the low string. It's going to vibrate. So that was another parameter, mm -hmm. you know, I had given myself, and uh, you know, their parameter was like I think about it being fifty fifty acoustic. If there's going to be pedals, there's going to be it's it's not going to 
dominate or if it's some well the last record i did was very deliberate one piece is all pedal one piece is all acoustic Mm -hmm. two pieces are a mix of two i don't want to think of the pedal it's like it's augmenting the piece it's not the it's not the the focus and i did spend a lot of time i feel like we've had this conversation i spent a lot of time researching pedals and trying out pedals and i another thing that i thought of is for me at least less is more i want to try to just use just a few pedals and Uh get as much out of them as i can i mean you know when you have an instrument like the viola the Mm -hmm. violin the clarinet like people have been writing for these instruments for hundreds of fucking years and you know we as instrumentalists you know we're, we're very talented people but there, you know, we there's there's plenty of uncovered ground for us, you know. And mm-hmm. like for me, it's important to, to 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 remind myself of that. Like when I start geeking out too much with like all these pedals and stuff, mm-hmm. is like, yeah, why don't I focus on intonation for a little while, right. rather yeah, than yeah, like yeah. on the glitch this pedal can do versus the, right. you know. But on the flip side of that, is like I feel like I've spent so much time practicing my pedals like they're an instrument. Yeah, you know, like that first solo record I did, that was. I was still working in Connecticut and I would literally drive home from work before I'd even go home. I'd go to my practice space every day with like a tall boy and spend <laughs> the tall boy's and, important and spend like five hours just practicing a sound on this pedal. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's a beast. I feel like they, have, an they have, it. it is. And it has a personality and they, it, you can't just like plug it in and I will say this mm-hmm. and I, I am like a lot of like I'm ready to jump on the shit talking train when it comes to people using pedals where maybe they shouldn't like I'm I'm ready to do it just as quickly as anyone but I will say this I know and I can hear the difference between how people use certain pedals just the same way that if I picked up Ornette Coleman's sax I'm not going to sound like Ornette mm-hmm. I, I, I can use a Strymon timeline pedal in a way that I do feel is specific to my play because you've spent a lot of time with it yeah Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm like a caveman, you know, with like, you know, a hammer and, a, you know, and, and mm-hmm. trying to like chisel out a way to make music with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. If you if you played uh, Heifetz's violin, it's not going to sound like Heifetz. It's going to sound like you. Yeah. It's going to sound pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I play the viola, Jeremiah. No, Wait, no I know. I, know. <laughs> I, just... I'm just, I actually know how to play the violin. I, I've heard you play the violin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um. So, but the other, but I mean, the other aspect of solo playing, and this is a big aspect of it, is like, it's, it's an invitation into the wilderness. Yeah. It's definitely informed how I'm writing music now for ensemble. How so? Well, with the solo playing, I find, I haven't done it the last few times, but I, I always, almost always use a clock. And I watch the seconds. I'm like, we're going to sit in this sound for 30 seconds. We're going to be in this sound for a minute. We're going to be in... I pace because it's it's they're in kind of indeterminate pieces. Mm-hmm. I can play them a little bit different every time. Um, but there's definitely a structure and a framework. But are you making sure that you play long enough or that you don't go over? Mm, I tend to rush through things. So yeah, I need to remind myself to take my time. Um but then that is is part is my string writing now is I'm using I'm doing a lot of time based clock scores and oh boy there's a rat in the room. <laughs> uh, she would greatly appreciate being held. Sorry, the the, the interrupter has. <laughs> but so I you know because I'm so in some ways I'm so like traditional like my my 
I grew up reading music, so the easiest way for me to communicate to other people what I want them to do is it's through written is just five line staff. You know, right? I I compose music in a very traditional way, and I've now been structuring my scores in a different way, where, which has been fun. Like I'm doing more block form. I'm doing more cells. I'm doing more. Do you do the clock? You there's a clock conductor, and you're going to yeah. do this at your own temp individual tempo for this amount of time and figuring out ways to transition from a section to a section that's cohesive, but not necessarily like we're counting bars, mm-hmm. um, which I never wrote like that for ensemble before. And it's because of the, all of the solo music that I've I, mean, I think like, I, I think music should at the very minimum feel intuitive, like often creating it, you know, it, it, it's, you're you're like putting blocks together trying to figure out how they work ultimately arriving at a point where like it feels natural it feels like it makes sense mm-hmm. and I th- especially with solo playing where there, there is a tendency i have a tendency to rush things to move things through quickly to not let things breathe and sort mm-hmm. of like open up as they need to it's important to remember that the person that's listening to you however many hours you just spent in the practice space that it's new to them mm. Give them the yeah. opportunity to sort of like mm-hmm. breathe it in and, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of figure out what you're doing. Even though for yourself in your own head, you're like, oh, this is predictable because you know what's going to happen. But it's actually not the well, case I, for the listener. I, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like, you know where you're going to figure it. out how to shut up the nerves that are telling you, hurry, mm-hmm. hurry, get through. And, you know, like, I think actually what helps that is doing lots of solo shows. Like and I remember. <laughs> well. No, but I just I just think of like the first couple solo tours I did. I really started hitting that hard in like 2013, and they were just so stressful, just just so stressful and so nerve wracking. And I just part of it I think is playing solo. There's nothing you you play a solo show and there's or you're playing with people at the end of a show. You can kind of debrief with them. How do you think that way? You think it went bad, but they're like, oh no, it was fine. It's just you. So I had to like figure out how to debrief a show with myself, and I had to figure out how to have confidence and not be distracted by every little sound in the room that I don't even think about stuff like that now at all. But in like 2013, when I did a couple of tours, I was so distracted. And so it was really, and also just, I play through a PA and then getting used to adjusting to the different PA every night, which is kind of a fun game a little bit. If, if you're an open person, (laughs) if if you will allow it to inform what you're doing musically, then it's awesome. Yeah. Or or being able to like adjust quickly to oh I I can sense what this is gonna I don't know like if it just PA, came it just came from doing it a ton. Right. If a PA like sounds like a piece of dog shit mm-hmm. and like whatever like idea you had of like crystalline music like it clearly isn't gonna happen. But mm-hmm. if you have another idea like okay I'm gonna drive this PA into the ground right like then that's a thing. Or you or you pull out your acoustic songs or, or I don't know. I, I I like the idea of having. Like having an amp and having all my settings being the same. Sure. But I also, I can't carry that. I can't carry amps. I can't. But the, what typically goes goes along with like an unreliable PA is a space where the stakes are very low. <laughs> there you and go. In a position like that, cool music can fucking happen because if you have the, if you have it within you to say like, oh yeah, this doesn't fucking matter. Let me like not put so much pressure rip, on myself yeah. and just try something. Mm-hmm. Then really cool stuff can happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You, you, it's working with all the different parameters. Yeah, you can have a great show on a shitty PA, and you can have a—I mean, you usually have a good show on a good PA. But it just—it just depends on how. A lot of it depends on how you are internally. 
you know how you can just get inside and i also think a lot of well how do you how do you sort of mediate that do you meditate do you do you do yoga i my whole like yeah my whole body practice is part of i i feel like the the body practice is part of the music practice yeah. yes and i do feel a lot like um the solo music is sort of a a movement practice you know i think of it i even think of that of this with teaching like teaching lessons like i'm not thinking this is music i'm thinking of this as i'm teaching somebody a process mm-hmm. which is like a yoga class it's very integrated um i don't know for solo playing i kind of have to just st- i have to stay within and not just be just dis- not be distracted by what's around me mm-hmm. um i rock back and forth a lot when i play solo mm-hmm. and if i feel like something's not going the way i want it to i just have to adjust Lean into it. Or, yeah, you yeah. have to go with it. You have to. That's, and also, I mean, that's real there's this thing you know. And yeah, and even though, if, you know, I'm playing pieces. I'm playing pieces. They're kind of indeterminate, but, you know, they're they're set. But that is improvisation. I've been working on trying to stretch out my solo music more and be a little bit. Like, I know these pieces so well. I can play with them a little. Like, I can change them a little. I can. Because I am an improviser. Yeah, I can. Right. You know. Um, although I prefer to know what's gonna happen right you know a framework with but within been, which to work I, but i've been letting myself be more open to like doing do it different this time because you know where it's gonna start and where it's gonna end well can, can i ask i don't know that we've ever really talked about this but the time that you spent playing in anthony braxton's groups mm-hmm. what did that how would you say that time and that experience informed who you are as an improviser interesting interesting question I mean, when you're playing his music, you're playing his language, you're playing his system. Right. Which gives you the freedom to use in any way. So you, you're playing written music, but you're given choices. So if anything, I would say that I approach improvisation kind of in a logic, like more logical way where I feel like I am, I, may, I don't know, maybe other improvisers do this. I feel like I'm composing, but I'm also of a composition brain. Mm-hmm. Um, Playing just free doesn't completely interest me without having an idea or a, a, where I want something to go or, you know, mm-hmm. just like, well, let's see what happens when we throw these things together, mm-hmm. you know, um, where I feel like his music, you have freedom and make choices, but it's within a system to sort of guarantee that there's going to be some you, when you hear his music, you know it's his music. Mm-hmm. Even if there are 12 people using it however they wish. Mm-hmm. Because it's thought out. You know what I mean? It's, making, it's called lang- language system. Mm-hmm. You know, which, you know, music is a language. I'm about to... <laughs> That's a, that, having a chihuahua in your lap is a good feeling, isn't it? Um, I mean, I feel like I grew up on that. I mean, I didn't come to that music till I was maybe in my early twenties, but I. But you were you were a kid. I was a in kid. Yes, yeah. I grew up on that music. You know. Yeah. Grew up on that. Yeah. So. I mean, learned a lot doing that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm always curious about how people find comfort on the bandstand as improvisers. Like, feel like comfortable in in a space with their ideas. Well, in that to, like, situation, you're giving pretty. There's so much to work with. You're there's never like you have a book of things you can work with. Yeah. Um 
And I don't know that I just improvise on a bandstand in other situations so much. Right. I mean, we improvised together yeah. a couple months ago. Uh-huh. Um, but we know each other. Uh-huh. We know each other's music. So uh-huh. I think we went into it kind of having an idea. Right. I have I have a lot of difficulty... Uh, a, like a, a thing that like I battle sort of within every time I improvise with anyone is questioning how much like will I'm imposing upon the music. Like I, I, I tend to think in terms of, of structure and orchestration mm-hmm. and like pushing things along a narrative line. Mm-hmm. And when, if I, I often feel like if I make declarative statements musically, like is that like I'm every time I do it there's a part of me that's like was that like an like a macho asshole thing to do like hmm. is that like is that cool like am I am I like defying the spirit of improvisation by doing that by asserting what your idea is yeah hmm i think of that more like when people are just blowing like when it's just like blow everyone's just blowing i can never find the music in that well i, I kind of agree you know, like just so there's so much. Well, I don't know. I gotta say, I have seen it done well, but sure, people where people are just I'm gonna play as loud and as fast as I possibly can for 45 minutes. Yeah, there are people who do it well, but it's like that's kind of also like improvisation. I feel like everyone thinks they can do it, and then but that there, is and a then structure. there are people who are actually really good at it, and how you just because they're genuine and serious, and that's their that's what they they think a lot about it, right? And they're sensitive to who they're playing with. Um. Which is kind of a thing. I mean, I, I often... I don't see you as just like going up there and blowing. No, I don't. But I do think... Like if I'm if I'm going to be like completely self-critical, like one thing I'm always suspicious of about myself is like, are, are these musical events too episodic? Is, is moment to moment... Like am I not letting an idea stretch out long enough? And am I, again, imposing will on something? It's something that really fucks with me. Imposing will... But if someone is agreeing to play with you, they want they want your input. Yeah, I guess. Are you free improvising with people that often that you're I want I mean I, I feel like at heart I'm an improviser. Mm-hmm. And the spirit of what it is to be an improviser is like very important to me. Mm-hmm. Like the, the democratic uh communion on the bandstand of of you know of, of what that is that collectivism that occurs is like really important to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i guess it's within that framework that i become suspicious of myself if i if i feel like i'm being too heavy-handed with my ideas hmm. i don't you've never felt see, anything like that i don't see you as being that i've played with people where i felt that uh-huh they're just like blowing over everything right I don't. I never think of you as that person, right? Probably because you have an awareness of it, right? I don't know. I mean, also within. I mean, I have done. I haven't in a while, but I have done just free improvised gigs. You know, Mary and I have played a couple of shows recently, which you guys are playing songs. But there's improvisation in the song. It's another project where it's like we are improvisers. We both improvise, but we even the pieces that we write. There's going to be written music, there's going to be an improvisation in there, but it's going to be structure where there's someone's holding a chord underneath it right. or someone's holding something under It's never just like, maybe there's like eight bars of freak out, but then right back into it. You know where the structure is. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of more how I've worked in improvisation where it's part of a, mm-hmm. I mean, there's also that really banal, like let's play ahead, let's blow, let's play ahead 
you know, like where it's like they're not related and it doesn't. I make don't any think sense. anyone should be doing that structure unless yeah. they're like top shelf fucking masters yeah. of that yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. So when I refer to the music I do with Mary, it's not it's not that it's not like well, let's play a melody and then blow and then <sighs> right. come back to a melody to 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 tie a bow on it. It's like there is it's somehow worked into the composition. But do those structures? But I, mean, I kind of feel more comfortable in that because I like. I think so. When I first finished school. I that's when I really got into just free improvising because I think I just needed to break just break break away from all of this schooling that I had done and it was I was just free improvising free improvising and it was not long before I was like okay sometimes this sounds awesome sometimes it sounds terrible uh-huh. so let's make it sound awesome all the time or let's figure out a way to make it sound awesome 80% of the time and that's how I got into composition. But why is it sounding awesome? Is it sounding awesome because the people that are playing are inspired and they're present and they're in the moment and they have the facility I to think, push their instrument? I think that it was just hit or miss at that point like right. when I'm 20. It's I think it's it's hit or miss. It's like, "Oh, this this improv improvisation's going well and it's because of this." And then I remember because I was like naive. I was like, oh, you can just play and it's going to be great all the time. And then I was in some situations where I just improvised. And I was like, this is it's terrible. Abysmal. This is terrible. It's depressing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there is an element of um, uncertainty to this. And I'd rather there be, I'd rather have a little bit more control over this. Where they're I'm taking aspects of what's amazing about improvisation and putting it into a structure right. to give it its own success. You know? So that's why I think, you know, shortly after, maybe I was 25 when I started working with Mary. That's why our pieces, I think, are like that. It's like, yeah, there's improvisation, but it's within a very confined structure. And that even a lot of the music that I've written for Army of Strangers or for the other like improv comp, whatever, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, bands I've played in, there's always like a structure. But is there like a... Like, I don't have any records out where I'm just like blowing with people. <laughs> like, really? do i i don't know i don't know i don't think so you're on a lot of stuff i am but i don't think it's just like a free a record of people free improvising i don't think i guess you know it's funny because now when i think about it, i don't know the, I, I, it's 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 like an event to do with people and sometimes we do it in public and interesting things happen but i couldn't see like producing a record that was right you know, there's always more unless you haven't no Unless I'm forgetting something. I mean, I, I know for me, I made one record, uh, a duo record with this violinist from France that I love. Mm-hmm. And we played a bunch and we worked on like a very specific language and we made a record. Mm-hmm. But you worked on a language. And I feel like it's a strong statement of music. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, there's an understanding between the two of us mm-hmm. and it's a concise, fat-free musical statement. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I guess when it comes to recording... That's funny. I, I guess I haven't realized, like, I haven't thought, like, you haven't done that. Mm-mm. Not that I can remember. No. Huh. I don't think so. But do you have people in your life that you enjoy doing that with? That I improvise with? Like, free improvisation. Hitting the bandstand with nothing planned. I... It happens sometimes. Yeah. I'm open to it happening, but I'm not going to be the person to be like, I'm going to put these people together. Right, you're not going to call the session. No, I'm not going to call the session, but I enjoy, I love playing. To me, I realize it's more compelling. I did that band Imaginary Folk for a second. Which was was you, Peter Peter Evans, Brandon Seabrook, Brandon Seabrook, and Amy, Amy Simony. Amy Simony. Which even, it was kind of improv, it was probably the most free improv record I've made, although we had 
records that we were like we were like playing records on right so that was like a weird concept yeah i think it was peter's idea sounds about right (laughs) but but yeah we had no written music we had no structures like we each had like a record player and we would like play sample records and improvise but But that that's already a thing there's a thing yeah there's it's not just free improvising and it was four people who did it together a lot so it wasn't just like one hit right i'm actually for some reason i'm remembering this one time i know i was living in fort green so it had to be like 2003 that i went to elixir juice bar in tribeca juice bar in tribeca yeah. and i free improvised a show with james Ilgenfritz and jeff arnell jeff arnell right Okay. The three of us played a free improv. Okay. So, so I'm, okay, that's a different question, though. I definitely have played a lot of shows like that. Sure. In the recent past, probably not. We're going back years. We played, I, you know, I've, I've done that. It's not like... Right. We didn't make a right. It was like one time. Let's free improvise. Okay. This is a show. Nobody, <laughs> you, no, nobody came. There wasn't a single person. There. Right. And that's yeah. not what the music's about. No. It's like, we're going to be here. We're going to improvise. And there is something... I find actually when I do that sometimes and some and I've actually been thinking about this maybe I should do it more just play with p- people I miss like playing with people because there's some it challenges you on your instrument in a different way I find that when I do free improvise with people whether it's just a session or it's a show that nobody's at or it's a show that people are at I find new things on my instrument yeah yeah which I think is one of the most amazing things about I mean, that. I, that's largely the idea, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that there's a sense of discovery. Like, yeah, you know, musical discovery in the moment. Which I wouldn't do if I was by myself. And actually, I'm just remembering, I remember Montana Roberts had a stone residency. January of some year. And I played with her and some... Because I remember I discovered something on my instrument at that improvisation. And I ended up writing it down and using it in a yeah, piece. You put that in your pocket. And I'm just remembering me and you and Chuck Bettis did that. Yeah. The stone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? That was free improvisation. There was some graphic score that Chuck had put oh, together. Okay. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. We're talking like, oh my God, remember that one time I free improvised? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you remember that? There was that one time. <laughs> like well, I think. I, but because I don't do it much. You, that's funny. Yeah, you, you know? don't. Mm-mm. But there is. But there's a val- there's value to it. Huge. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I realize but if that, I'm going to put a project together, I'm going to put a project together where I've written some music and I have, for my, I'm not going to, like we said, I'm not going to initiate I, that. I, I know for myself, and I think my output speaks to this, is that if I decide to start an improv- uh, improvisational relationship with someone, musically. Mm-hmm. Which is a, different than just doing one hit. Doing one-offs, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's about the, but it's about the personality. Mm-hmm. It's about the personality a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. The idea of... For me, doing a duo record with you or Brian Chase, someone that I know and love for many, many years, mm-hmm. is far more compelling than doing a duo record with like Random Joe Blow, the saxophonist who yeah. plays 200 gigs a year. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, you. I, it, I think it'll be more unique. It'll be, I guess what I'm saying though, is that there's part of me that wants to be good at the other side of it. What's the other side? Just being able to play with If I just show or... up with Joe Blow, the saxophonist who plays 200 gigs a year, like, do I have what it takes to, like, meet them on the bandstand in the way they like to be But What is it to have what it takes if you're just playing your, the way you play? Why, why would that person be more skilled at it than well, because you? Because like, if you're just 
being genuine with what you do, then that is what you're bringing to the table. You know? Well, I think if there's if whatever specificity like you have that? to your musical mm-hmm. language, the mm-hmm. people you love, the people you play with, they kind of get it. Like Brian Chase can make me like we can we can play music together that will sound far more like complete and interesting because of kind this kind like, of like the duo show that we played two months ago. Yeah. We know each other's music so well that we kind of knew what that was going to be like. Right. You know. Right. Which is different than playing with... Some people are into that. Like, let's put these three people in a room together who've never even met and see what it sounds like. It's usually the impresario person that wants to do that, though, not the musician. Ah. Uh, but yeah. usually it's the, the wise-ass promoter who's like, put the noise artist together with the jazz artist and, mm-hmm. like, the, mm-hmm. the fucking, you know, tape music tabletop person and mm-hmm. let's see what happens. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, probably not going to be that worthwhile of a listening experience. Mm-hmm. Why, do, why do you think people are compelled to do that? To insert themselves into the situation. Mm. Why do you think those people agree to do it? Because there's usually like a money and a gig involved. Right, right. Okay. It's one thing. But there's also like, sometimes, okay, I could see why a musician being asked to do that would do that. Sometimes I get asked to do things that I'm like, I'm not sure why I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it. And then I'll find that like I meet somebody. I'm like, wow, I really connect with this person. And yeah. I wouldn't have met them unless I decided to do this weird project that I was asked to do. Right. You know, it's like kind of part of an investigation or maybe you learn something about yourself and how you relate it to goes it goes both ways improvising with that the personality is more important than how the hell did we get there we were talking about how i don't have any free improv records <laughs> because i'm a composer <laughs> do you want to do free improv records no i have no interest no I, interest i feel like free improv is not well okay maybe the reason i don't have any free improv records is because i don't own it or want maybe okay they might be in the graveyard i might have some free improv records in the graveyard um for those who don't know the graveyard is the all gra- this, just the cds that people just give you yeah yeah, yeah yeah i have a whole bookshelf called the graveyard it's uh, i got rid of my graveyard recently yeah i still i still have the graveyard um but i free improvisation is something i can enjoy when i'm in live when i'm in a, like i right. actually i played a show not that long ago at much more and I played solo and I'm going to mess up their last names but Sandy and Sandy Ewan yes and huh? Chris Labuti. yeah 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 guitar they were improvising they were playing prepare guitar and I enjoyed the experience so much of just like closing my eyes and being like what's happening to me yeah but I liked being in the room with it I don't know that I would I'm not talking about talking about them specifically but um I enjoyed I assuming they were for improvising I mean I enjoyed being in the room and being in the experience as I usually feel like when I'm like memorize the sky was another band. Oh man. I love that band. They're free improvising. They have they a relationship. They were improvising. Um, I, you know, I love to see them live. I don't say that I want, I'm going to put on a memorize the sky record. Sorry, Aaron. And no, 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 Zach no. It, but, like, but you know, I, so the, my point is I enjoy it in the moment, in the space. I enjoy being there with it. I don't know that, I'm going to listen to it at home when the people are something about it. The being in the physical room with it is I enjoy more than it being on record. I think, which is probably what never compelled me to want to make a free improvised record. Maybe you would feel differently though, if you had that ongoing free improvised relationship, if you spent maybe, but I still don't listen to memorize the sky records. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
Like I, I was listening the other day to this duo record of George Lewis and Evan Parker. This oh, that just makes made. me think of. Uh, no, sorry. Go what? Ahead. No, I, I don't think it's free improvised though. It's. Uh, go ahead. What were you talking? About? I mean, they made this record in like '83 mm-hmm. or something. And you put it on, and it's like, oh, these are two fucking masters, absolute mm. masters. Like they own every square centimeter of their instrument and the history behind the instrument. Yeah, and they're working at light speed, just sort of like throwing yeah. it back and forth at each other. It, it's like I, I feel like the distinction needs to be made. People who do it really, really, really well. To use an incredibly outdated expression, mm-hmm. like the thing that separates the men from the boys, like mm. that kind of thing. The the little girls from the women. The thing, you know. Like- <laughs> well, that well, what I was gonna say about kind, we kind of came up like anyone think there are people who are very serious about free improvisation and they spend a lot of time doing it and they do it with a lot of people and it's like their that's their language. That's their language, yeah. Those are the people who are really good at it. I think that I. Th- it's a it's kind of a disease I've seen come and in the 20 years I've lived in New York where someone's like oh I can do that Mm -hmm. and like they pull out their instrument and they're like I'm free improvising I'm on the free improv scene and I'm like no actually you're terrible you don't know what you're doing you know Mm -hmm. like it's not always good it's like I feel like some people will think like oh I could do that and Mm -hmm. if you're just half hazardly doing it you're kind of doing a disservice to to it you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. there are people who do it really well, and it's 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 apparent and it's obvious. And they're magicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because it's what they're dedicated to, and it's what they believe in, and it's it's genuine in who they are. And then there are people who are like, oh, I just want to play gigs, so like, I guess I could free improvise. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. So it kind of gives it a. It's kind of gives it a. It brings the whole level of everything down. It does. You know what I mean? Like, I do. And I was kind of saying this when we were eating dinner earlier. Like, I feel like collectively there needs to be a call to a greater like personal standard of what we do musically, mm-hmm. whether it's the labels that we work with, the concert opportunities we take or don't take. Just like slow it down. Like, Well, I think a lot about... Um, it's more water. I don't want to just put in... You know, people who make a million records. It's like I'd rather make one record every two years, and it's something I really thought about, and I know it's really good. Than like, oh, I'm gonna put out five records this year, and it's a whole bunch of slop. Do people still do that? I don't know, but I think about it. It's like yeah. I don't, I don't see the point in having. A, I'd rather have not a. You have a huge output of mediocre, or you can have a lesser output, and you really thought about everything you did the problem with that though is like and i've had this experience is like that's always been my approach but then i listen back to like records i've made and i'm like mm, well that's good why that did means it take you, me that, a year to make that? well because you've grown i right. think that's a good thing you know what i mean yeah yeah you can when you can look back on work that you did and see like how you do it differently then you know you're growing right you know, this is all just part of a life process well it, that's I if I think that's one of the most useful things about improvisation and a relationship to an instrument is that for me it's always 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 a gauge of like how well I'm kind of keeping myself like the chances of me not playing my instrument on a regular basis like it's it's pretty commiserate with me not going to the gym so like you know you're not in a good disciplined place or you're not 
I, I don't know what your gym routine is. Lately, <laughs> you I've don't go-, go to the gym. I've been going a lot lately. <laughs> YMCA. No, downstairs. Me and Steve oh, Reich and fucking the dude what? from House of Cards are You down have there. a gym yeah. in your building? It's literally in my you building. You have no reason not to go to the gym. I, listen, I don't care who hears this. I hit the gym and there's three cats down there. It's me, Steve dude, Reich. I'm coming to your gym. And the dude from House of Cards. Which dude? Uh, Doug Stamper. I don't know who that is. He's, the, he's like Kevin Spacey. He's like chief of staff or whatever. It's been a while since anyway, I, I don't know. I, but I, that's great. What are you doing, the elliptical? I do the elliptical for like... 30 to 45 minutes and then i fucking deadlift nice yeah yeah, yeah. Right, i'm getting good. ripped to that good. summer 2019 <laughs> right. watch out sun's In out guns out beach <laughs> <laughs> well i do, okay i gotta say being an instrumentalist what we do is physical and i do think that i think that a gym routine well this is just me i've always been like this like a gym rat or like a exercise gym door. rat yeah gym rat i'm a i'm a fucking gym rat i love the gym Look at my guns, dude. Sun's out, yeah. guns out. Look at my guns, dog. Curls for the girls, benches for the wenches. You know, because we got to hold these instruments. It's physical. Uh-huh. You got to breathe. You got to have stamina. I, I don't I think... You got to be like, a beast. I feel like music and... There's a connection... Obviously, there's a connection between music and dance. Or I feel like the movement and body is such a important... It, and then there's also an element of like... I don't in any way think of playing an instrument like a sport, but you need to train yourself yeah. to hold this thing. If you're just, I mean, there are musicians who just I like smoke. I remember and- years ago doing this gig with Colin Stetson. And <laughs> like before, like like in the like shitty little like green room area before the gig, he's like stretching and doing these like- You gotta stretch. You gotta stretch. do your little- and I, I, looked at it, I looked at him and I was like, man, you do that shit before every gig. And he looked at me like, He's like, you yeah, don't know. You sad little jerk off. You, you don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he, yeah, he, he, I mean, he looked like a fucking silverback gorilla. It was amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What we do is very physical. But I, I will say this as someone who has been on antidepressants for like several years, I go to the gym. You feel better than any antidepressant. I come out of the gym feeling like, I don't, I don't need the antidepressants. Exactly. That's huge. Yeah. That's just fact. Yeah. Yeah. The gym, okay, the gym would solve everyone's problems. Everyone just needs to go work out. Hit the fucking hymnasio. Hit the fucking gym, you the dogs. Hymnasio. Get off the couch. You can even sit on the couch for three hours, but just make sure you go to the gym for 45 minutes. You go to the gym every day? I go five days a week. Hit the hymnasio. Although, like, one or two of those days is usually a yoga class. But, like, but I, I, I go to some kind of organized exercise class five times a week. It's just, I can't not... I do think there is a direct corollary with what occurs in the gym and what occurs in the practice of an instrument. And when you are, like, I'm really into lifting. Mm, and, let me see. No, fuck you. <laughs> but when, like, you're on, like, your fourth set of reps and... What are you lifting? Weights. With what? Your arms? Fuck you. <laughs> 15 pounds? What do you got? Yeah, I, five pounds. <laughs> I do I do five to eight. Five to eight. Are you being serious? But I don't lift. I do... Wait, wait, I, you, you, you're, you're, I do toning classes. I do like cardio sculpt classes. No, I, that's what I, I, spend I most lift of, weights Because you like know, let me tell you, after age 35, that's the best thing you can do for yourself because... What, lifting? Yes, because you, um, your bones. Lift, for some reason, lifting... Yeah, I don't have osteoporosis. Because, but you're gonna if you don't lift. No, I'm a grown man. Exactly. Exactly. If you lift, if you do weight training after a certain age, is the best thing you can do for your body. 
because that's what keeps for some reason what keeps your bones from going brittle what i was gonna say sorry is i like derailed you pushing through like <laughs> the end of the reps where like you're like incredibly tired it's not so dissimilar from like when you're blowing and your armature starts giving out okay or like your intonation starts giving well that's different i don't play a wind instrument but you still suffer fatigue in a different way, yeah. In at, a different at, way. At, at, at minute but fifty, but I feel of like when gig. you're using your mouth, it's different. Yeah, and oh. your and your breath. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I use my mouth a lot. So, so when you're lifting and you're like you're having a heart, you're like just just think I'm like I'm like blowing through my licorice stick. Yeah, just the me and the misery <laughs> stick, fucking working it out. No, uh, I think the hymnasio is really important. Mm. Hymnasio? Yeah, in Spanish. Oh, okay, I didn't know. What that I think was. it's a lot cooler sounding in Spanish. I didn't even know that. That I didn't know what that. Well, now I'm going to use that. The hymnasio. No, it's it's. There's a de- definite connection to being in shape on your instrument and being in shape in your body. So are you? I mean, we talked about it for a second out there, but with you're you're making records now with. That's like all where my brain is. I just want to. I have so much music I want to write, and I just going to make records. Whether anyone, you just, I just want, I just, I just so say, many things that I want, so I want to record right like, now. Like, I feel like I've always been sort of like an outcast among the people we know in that, to me, it's always about been making records. It's always been mm-hmm. about making records. And I, I'm realizing that making a record is the most concrete and clear way of actualizing an idea as it was meant to be actualized. Mm-hmm. You know, an audio document. Well, like you can you can do the gig. Everyone can play their ass off. The audience uh-huh. can love it, all that stuff. But like you can really get right up in there and ensure that second to second, sound to sound, it sounds exactly the way you want it, or even beyond what you knew you wanted. Mm-hmm. That to me is like why making records is the best thing ever. Well, I think also it's a lasting document, and it's a reference. And I, I, I'm. When you're talking about concerts versus record, like like when I make records, I'm basically recording live. Like mm-hmm. um, I don't do edits, and I'm not like I'm not like producing a record where I'm like editing a bunch of stuff and splicing it together. I'm like, this is a piece I wrote. It's going to be recorded. Hopefully, it's going to be one take. We don't need to do an edit. You know, I'm I'm kind of representing something. Mm-hmm. So, are you talking about like studio when you're like creating something in a studio? Or you talk, you know what I mean? Or I mean, you talk, the, are you talking about just like having control of the audio quality and of? Well, I'm talk, definitely talking about control of the audio. Excuse me, audio quality. But within each project, within each recording, identifying what that recording should look like. So if you're saying, you know, it's one pass, we're going to get in there and do one pass. Like we did all the work. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the sound of a group doing it in one pass. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's figure out how to honor that mm-hmm. uh, sonically and orally. Like that's that's the joy of making a record. If it's like look, we're gonna make some incredibly bizarre music, and we're gonna capture this aspect of improvisation and push it up against this aspect of studio, like it to me, it's like putting together a puzzle mm-hmm. and figuring out like what project, what each project will look like as a puzzle in the studio. Yeah, it's interesting you said puzzle because I think of um, when I write music, I think of composition as a puzzle. Uh-huh. I feel like composition is basically you're creating a puzzle for yourself to solve. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's kind of like a similar approach, but you're talking about it in terms of... I, I mean, that's what creativity is. It's problem yeah. solving and it's it's realization of ideas. And then hopefully along the way, you realize those ideas in a way that you didn't know that you were going to. Yeah. 
And over time, you figure out different ways to solve the problems. Problem meaning puzzle. Yeah, and hopefully, it's, hope, and I just think just that just enjoying the process. I love it. Yeah, I nothing makes me happier. Like I've actually really enjoyed in the last year. Have you have you worked at all at um, Shazad Studio in Brooklyn? Figure Eight. Mm-mm. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. It's a great studio. I've heard. And I've played on like six or seven people's records, mm-hmm. all recorded at uh, at Figure Eight in Brooklyn. And I, I mean, I'm just loving being in the studio. I'm loving like realizing, you know, like listening, like, recording something, listening back, saying like, back it up, let's keep the first part, but like let me redo the. So second. you're enjoying the, the the freedom that you have to put things together. I I, I I fucking love it. Yeah, the like the kind of collaging. Yeah. Aspect of that, yeah. And what about touring? Like, is that sort of, that's like kind of slow down for you, or? It's... Mm. I want to tour when it makes sense to tour. If I have a record that's coming out mm-hmm. and there's going to needs to be shows around the record, great. Like I did I did a solo record in February, so I did some touring around it. I don't feel the need to just go on tour because I would need to go on a trip, you know? I need to have a reason. Yeah. I think, I mean, I very much like being home. I like cooking my own. The thing we have I, that in the, common. The hardest part about touring for me is food. I'm very particular about what I want to eat. I really just want to cook my own food. So if I'm going to go on tour, I want to, okay, there's going to be a couple shows that I really want to do, or I'm going to line it up. And so the last solo tour I did, I went away two weekends. Rather than being away for a whole week, I broke it up into three days a week apart. Well, when you're playing solo, you can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do whatever you want. Um, my string quartet is going to release a record in October, and we'll do a quote unquote tour, which is going to be three shows, one in New York, one in New Haven and one in Philly. And that's it because they're the record release, but I don't want to, I don't want to try to go for a week to the Midwest and back, you know, unless there's like some amazing situation somewhere where it's, we're going to have a comfortable place to stay and the concert makes sense. I I don't know. Um, more deliberate touring. Mm -hmm. I like, that music gets me to travel, or, or Europe. You know, I'll go to Europe if, if something com- something comes up that makes sense for me to go somewhere. Um, where I feel like when I was younger, it was just like let's just go and do a tour because it's fun. You know, I feel like if there's a record, or if there's a funded concert, mm-hmm. or if there's something that makes sense, great. Mm-hmm. But um, I enjoy being home and working just as much as. Yeah, and I gotta say it's really nice not playing in new york you get a different audience you get a different level of enthusiasm um you know i appreciate that i appreciate playing in different cities yeah um i find sometimes too you'll you'll get a bill put together of a lot of different kinds of music which i think is interesting that's like kind of in europe there'll be like a festival where there's like so many different kinds of music on the same festival which is really interesting um yeah but i'm not just gonna be like i'm gonna go to europe for a couple weeks and string together bounce around and play some pubs yeah yeah. i need to have like okay there's a like i have something in berlin in october okay i'm gonna go there for a specific reason and since i'm gonna be there maybe i'll book a few things but i'm not just gonna like you know you know what i mean Mm -hmm. just more deliberate Mm -hmm. um and i think that's just because like i'm my body is very sensitive i mean i think it's 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 a well arrived at place yeah to feel that way yeah I, I I wonder 
Like I've got a record in the can right now. Mm, is it a solo record or an no? Album? It's a trio record. Okay. And it's like false modesty aside, fucking fantastic. <laughs> like it's a fucking. Who's kill. on it? It's me, Mario Diaz de Leon, and Toby Driver. I mean, yeah, how could it not be? It's so <laughs> fucking hooked up, and I've been taking my time with it and not in a hurry to release it because you want to release it right, and you want to get you want to release it when a co- good concert is. Like, I I just I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm like I, I don't think like uh, they're ready. For, I I just don't. I think it's good if you know you have something and you know it's good and you know you can release it whenever you want. I mean, if you're doing yeah. your own label, I I mean I think f- wait for the time when there's a concert, like yeah. a, a, a concert that's like going to be a really good concert. Okay, I'm going to release my record around this concert and it's going to be an event and it's going to make sense. Yeah, you know, I'm glad I, I, I'm. There's affirmation in me hearing you say that because I feel part of me feels like why am I holding on to it? Why am I just hold like, on to around? it till the time is right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think a good time for that is like, say, a, the walker wants you to come do a concert. Okay, mm-hmm. I got this trio. Okay, that's when we're going to release the record. Mm-hmm. You know, hypothetical. But you got to be smart about it. I think it's being strategic about when you release your record is good, and or doing it around a, a, an event or concert. Yeah. You know, if you just like, oh, I got to release that record next month. I don't have a show booked. Let's... Uh, find some book a show at a bar somewhere yeah no might as well wait you wait another year till like the concert you want to do mm-hmm. comes up great mm-hmm. what's the rush the music's not going anywhere right you know we know we're doing this for the rest of our life that's something i think that's come with i know i'm doing this for the rest of my like i feel like when you're in like your late 20s your early 30s or gotta prove myself gotta prove myself mm-hmm. i gotta mm-hmm. i gotta mm-hmm. prove to myself that i can do this it's like okay we're nothing's gonna we can do this forever like if I put out a record a year, you, it, it, you can do this forever. Well, you know what's interesting about that is that we cut this record. Like so year. many records I've put out, I've sit on for a year or two because I want to wait to do it in a way that makes sense. Sorry, well, I cut but you we, off. We, yeah. we we cut this in November 2017. Yeah, I listened back the other day and I'm like, no, this is solid. Well, that's another good thing though is like giving something standing the test of time. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes when you're too close to something, sometimes when I've just, I've just spent four months writing this music, I've recorded it. Sometimes you don't listen to it for a year and you listen, cause sometimes I just like, I, I can't, you know, mm-hmm. too close to it. A year passes and then you listen to it and you're like, okay, I stand behind this. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, like, all right, you know, it's cause it's hard when you're in the middle of like, it's still really close in your head and the process. So if I you give a, it if you give it space, and I think that's I think there's great. a lot to be said for there's no rush. We don't need to prove ourselves. You don't need. What do you need right. to prove? You know, it's gonna let come it marinate. Out. Yes, marinate it like a, I don't even know steak. Is that what you mean? I don't like a marinated steak. What but do you yeah. marinate? I don't even know tofu. I marinate tofu. Yeah, tofu is good for marinating. Tofu. Yeah, mar- marination. I'm generally it, not into in in terms of food. Yeah, but in music, absolutely. That's okay. like that's the point. Yes, <laughs> in music, yes. <laughs> you don't marinate steak. Why is that like a there's only well, two ingredients needed for steak: salt and olive oil. And you don't let, and that's it. Yeah. I never made a steak actually. Really? I don't think so. I. Uh, no, but there is something. Marinating. If okay. you're making tacos and you want to use like what ultimately when you, you want to marinate use, the taco meat. There you'd want to marinate like a skirt steak or something. Okay. Because it's go. high fat. Yeah. Okay. What something actually just made me think of? I don't ever listen to my own music. Mm-hmm. Except I noticed this. I've noticed this pattern over the years. I don't really ever listen back to my own music, except for when I'm in a period where I'm writing new music. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the only time I, and it, it happens naturally. It's not like a meditated thing. It's like, okay, I'm sitting here. I want to write some new music. I start to listen to my old music, older music. Just what, to you're re- picking out everything you hate? No, just to remember, like, I don't know why it happens. It's like, I'll listen to older records just to be reminded of what I've done and like stages I've gone through. And sometimes it helps inform new stuff, but I never listen to my own music unless I'm about to write more music. Huh? I, I've noticed that. I don't, for some reason, I don't. I don't. I don't want to listen to stuff I've written. I think, except the, when I'm in that place where it's like, let's go through the Pavone log. Oh yeah. Like when I'm making records, mm-hmm. I listen to it over and over and the over and over again while making. I'm making it. Yeah, because okay. I'm editing and I'm mixing and I'm right. you know, bop, 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 and I will you know hear the thing ten thousand times and then it comes out and I walk away and never hear it again. Mm-hmm. Lately, I've been checking back in. And hearing, listening to shit. Like six months later, a year later? Five years, six years, okay, seven yeah, years, yeah. eight years. It's really fun. It reminds you like what your thought process was. And it's also really fun. It makes, makes you me, realize how your thought process has changed. I feel sympathy for the person that was making that music. <laughs> like I feel like like where I feel like a few years can I ago. Say, can I say a memory I have of your music? Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. You can cut this out. But, I probably um, won't. But. I remember you put together a string group. And it was me and Chris Hoffman, uh-huh. Olivia, uh-huh. And I don't remember who And Blankart. Tom Blankarte. Yeah. And you wrote some really high notes. Uh-huh. And you, I remember you brought it to my house and we were going over the score. Uh-huh. This is when we were neighbors. Uh-huh. And you wrote these really high uh-huh. notes. I'd never seen this in my life. Uh-huh. You wrote these super high notes up on really high ledger lines. And you were like, yo, MV. But what you did is, you, and then like you're like, these are so many ledger lines. I'm going to write the the letter in the note head so that you don't have to figure out what the ledger line is. Uh, and I was like, yo, dog, 8VA. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> but that's like a learning, you know, as a string player, I've, you know. Yeah. If you never had, so I'm just thinking about that thing where you look back on that thing you didn't used to know and then you're like, oh, yeah, 8VA, okay. But that's totally, that that's totally thing. legit. Like, I know that because I played string instrument my whole life. But there's definitely things i haven't like when i first wrote for horns or saxophone for the first time like i don't know or the sax player was like hey maybe don't write like eight bars of 16th yeah or the first time i wrote for voice and i wrote a really slow vocal part and the singer was like i can't breathe (laughs) you know (laughs) we have to learn somehow you learn by you learn by doing i now i'm at a point where it wasn't like this before i check back in with a guy that was writing you know a string part you know like eight octaves above. 16 ledger lines with like an a in the note head was- yeah, yeah yeah like i actually want to like massage and comfort the guy that was doing that yeah. rather than beat him up oh that's good that's good that's yeah that's good yeah mm-hmm. i think he was a good intentioned guy he was a good intention guy yeah we all have, we all have good intentions you gotta learn we all you know I think learning by doing is the most honest way of... I think so. People who just stay in school for 18 years and get like PH million degrees and like def- like there's no life experience. Those dudes, I'm going to be completely out of line here. Go for it. Are predominantly pedophiles in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's something... There's just something very just, wrong with that situation. Like, like do, do if you it love and music, fail. Do, you, it and fail. Yeah. do it and fail. Do it and fail. Do it and fail and learn and fail and do it and fail. I've, Failing is the biggest teacher, you know? I love oh, well, that. in that case, I got my PhD. Like, I, <laughs> I continue to fucking fail. <laughs> no, come on. So, I don't know. We did good. This is good. What do we, how many hours we got? We're 70 minutes. What do we miss? 
What did we not talk about? We talked, we covered a lot. We talked a lot more about improvisation than I thought we would talk about, which is interesting. Um, yeah, we talked about, we covered some ground. Did, um, I think so. This has been good. I think so. Did we miss anything? You tell me. Mm, I can't think of anything I need to say. Your dog is licking me. She's the best. This You want to talk about therapy? This is the best this therapy. dog? Yeah, I mean, I could talk about dog therapy. I had watched a dog for a couple of weeks in March, I think, and it just made me feel so different having yeah. a dog in my house. Dogs and Anyone exercise. Anyone who needs a dog said, oh, okay, yeah. Dogs exercise. and exercise. You want to fix your life right up? Dogs, dogs and, and exercise. exercise. I completely All right. Because you know what? You come home and the dog's going to love you no matter what. You can have been the biggest idiot all day, and you mm-hmm. come home, and the dog's like psyched. Mm-hmm. The dog's like, you're the shit. And you're like, thanks. Look, yeah. this dog's licking me. All right. P1, thank you. <laughs> all right. That was Jessica Pavone. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. It's good to catch up with her. She's an old friend, and, uh, you know, friendships. They, they they retract, they compress. Sometimes you see a lot of uh, of a person. Sometimes you go for a while without seeing them. And I, I've gotten to accept that as I've gotten older. That it just goes that way sometimes. Needless to say, I'm always happy to see Jess. Go to jessicapavone.com. Check in. She's been very busy for the last several years. And I would encourage you to listen to some music. That's it. I hope you guys are all doing well. We'll be back next week. Until then, uh, be excellent to each other. All right.